Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The other thing we wish we would have done is, um, yeah, this was our very first trip to Alaska and we didn't know a lot about bears and bear spray. But what we should have done is when we got to Anchorage, we should have bought some bear spray. You know, you can't fly with it, but we didn't have any the entire trip. And I have to say, when we were hiking to the glacier, we were a little, I was nervous about running into a grizzly. Of course, we also realized we had what, smoked salmon? We had smoked salmon with us. So we made a couple of rookie mistakes three rookie mistakes at once uh, but hey we were rookies so that happens but yeah i, I would have bear spray absolutely and leave, leave the smoked salmon in the car this is the dear bob and sue podcast stories from our journey to all the u.s national parks and other public lands i'm karen smith And I'm Matt Smith. We're the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. On today's episode, we're taking you to the last frontier, Alaska, and its eight national parks, most of which are remote wilderness areas that aren't easy for visitors to access. Planning trips to the parks is an exciting part of any journey, but figuring out the logistics of traveling through Alaska can be daunting. We'll share our travel itineraries to give you some ideas of how much time to budget for each park and how to group them in a logical travel sequence. But first, also in the category of park planning, we'll tell you which national parks in the lower 48 are requiring entrance reservations for 2023. All this and more coming up next. Before we get started talking about Alaska National Park planning, we thought we would mention some of the other national parks that are going to require some advanced planning this summer, parks that you will need a reservation for. Yeah, when visitation to the national parks started skyrocketing, the NPS had to figure out ways to control the crowds and, and specifically the number of cars that could reasonably fit inside the park at any given time. So some of them are trying out this vehicle reservation system during the busy season. And you know, as much of a hassle as it is to get these advance entry tickets, in my opinion, I think it makes for a better park experience. Well, we've been to a few parks where we've had to have timed entry uh, tickets or reservations. And once we're in the park, it did seem like they were a lot less crowded uh, and yeah, the experience once you're in the park, I thought was better. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's one of the upsides. Right. But there are, of course, some downsides if you can't get the reservations you need on the date you need. But let's talk about Arches first. Okay. They have implemented a system whereby from April 1st to October 31st, and this is 2023, visitors are required to have a timed entry ticket to enter the park. Now, These uh, ticketed entry times run from 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. daily. And I will ask you, because I don't really know the answer (laughs) to this, what do you do before 7 a.m. and and after 4 p.m.? Because Arches in particular is open 24 hours. Right. Well, that's the secret right there. And it's actually not a secret because the park says it on the website. You can enter anytime before 7 a.m. or after 4 p.m. without a ticketed entry. And also, we should note that these entry tickets will not be required for all of you who have camping reservations, fiery furnace reservations, or any special use permits. So if you already have those, you don't need to get this additional timed entry ticket. And these tickets are available on recreation.gov, and they're first come, first serve. They start three months ahead of the time of the ticket for that month. So for instance, in 2023, on January 10th at 8 a.m. Mountain Standard Time, 
that's when the tickets go on sale for the month of April. And then what, on February 1st, the tickets for May go on sale? Right, right, and so on. One thing that's different this year is last year, they ended the ticket reservation early in October. And remember, Matt, we went, gosh, it was probably around like the 7th or 8th of October when there was no ticket requirement. And what happened was the park was so crowded early on that they simply closed the park at like 8 or 9 a.m., so no one could get in. And it was such a disappointment. Well, first of all, it was a disappointment for us when we tried to go. And it was for everybody else. Because if they still had had this timed entry, we would have gotten our ticket ahead of time. And we would have been guaranteed uh, to get in. So this actually, I think, works in people's favor. As long as you have some advance warning that you're going to the park and you can get online and get your ticket. Yeah, nobody wants to travel all the way to a park and then have it just be a, a roll of the dice as to whether or not the park's open, which is what it is in times when it's really busy and they don't have the timed entry ticket system in place. So uh, yeah, a hassle, but also in a way, it does improve the visitation experience. Right. So on all of these that we're going to talk about, the information is available on the park website as far as where to get your tickets, when to get your tickets, and so on. Uh, But let's move on to Glacier because Glacier has had some really big changes this year. Yeah, they've, they've changed it so that it's not just, it used to be just you had to have a reservation for going to the Sun Road. Now it's um, expanded. Now it's four areas of the park. You need a vehicle reservation. So going to the Sun Road, the North Fork area, which a lot of you know as the Pole Bridge area, the Many Glacier area, and also the Two Medicine area. So all of these four areas, you need a vehicle reservation, and they're all different. There isn't one that you can get for all of them. Right. And where do you get these? On recreation.gov, the schedule is on the park website, so check that out. And and it's interesting because they have changed the dates for the period that you need these reservations. So for going to the Sun Road and North Fork, it starts at the end of May. I believe May 26th is when it starts. For Many Glacier and Two Medicine, it starts July 1st. So a lot of <laughs> a lot of things to juggle here when you're doing your park planning. But get online. Don't just take our word for it and the dates because, you know, things change, right? right? They have to clear the going to the Sun Road of snow, and sometimes that takes longer than uh, normal, or they get it done more quickly. So Basically, what we're saying is go to the Glacier National Park website to verify the information as you're planning your trip there. That's right. Now, these particular tickets are good from 6 a.m. to 3 p.m. daily. So if you can't get a ticket and you want to get up at the crack of dawn, you can go into the park before 6 a.m. or after 3 without a vehicle reservation. Yeah, and that's a good way to do it, too. I know getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning is is a hassle, but, Mm -hmm. boy, if if, if you did that, then you can just get in the park. You can find parking where you want it, so now you're in. Yeah, that's definitely an option. Now, one that a lot of people don't realize until they get to the park is, of course, one of my favorites, Carlsbad Caverns. (laughs) Yeah, now they've gone to a reservation system. You can't even go past the visitor center. You can go into the visitor center, so you can go into the park, into the visitor center, but that's it without a reservation. Right. It used to be, for all of you who have been there in the past, it used to be that everyone and anyone could go down and do the self-guided big room tour. But you cannot do that anymore without a reservation. Now, these are not as hard to get as some of these others, as Glacier and Arches. I just looked on recreation.gov, and for instance, they had some available for the following day. But just know you can't get day of, and you can't get them at the park. So be sure to check that out when you're planning your visit to Carlsbad Caverns. And of course, the visitation there, obviously, for a lot of parks, it, it goes up in the summer months. One, mm-hmm. you know, kids are out of school, and so uh, families are on vacation. Two, Carlsbad Caverns, it's kind of a nice park to go to in the heat of the summer because down in the caves, it's nice and cool. And number three, the bats are only there from about May-ish to October-ish. There's no exact date as to when they come and go. And so if one of the things you want to do is to see the bat flight program, that's only available from May to October. 
Right. Now, we talked about this in our Carlsbad Caverns uh, podcast episode, but there are also other really cool cave tours that you can get tickets to in advance. Now, during COVID, they stopped these ranger-led tours, but I did see recently they started up again with the King's Palace tour, and that was a great one. We did that one on our first visit, and hopefully, as time goes on, they will bring back some of the other ones we did. Um, What was the one where we repelled? down <laughs> um poison spider cave uh, <laughs> uh poke yourself in the eye with the sharp stick cave was that it <laughs> no i believe it had a much less exciting name i think it was called lower cave oh, okay um, anyway but yeah get on uh, the website and check out the cave tours when you're planning your visit okay so that's carlsbad caverns mm-hmm. So let's move on to Rocky Mountain National Park. Now, they have had a timed entry permit system in the past, and they're putting that in place again in 2023 from May 26th through October 22nd. And they have a couple of different permits. One permit is good for the Bear Lake Corridor. And, of course, that's a very popular corridor because there's a lot of great hikes off of that. And that one is good for the rest of the park. That reservation period is from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. Yeah, so if you're going to get up early to beat that one, you're going to have to get up really early. Yeah, but you could. (laughs) Sure, you could go in at 4. (laughs) Yeah, and then then they have a second permit, which is the entire rest of the park. Now, that excludes the Bear Lake Road corridor. And so that rest of the park reservation, it's good from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And the nice thing about this, and we did this last summer, we visited Rocky Mountain National Park. We went in on the Grand Lake side, on the west side, and gosh, we got right in. There was no line. It was so smooth. But when you make your reservation, they give you a two-hour entry window. So you don't have to show up at the exact time. It's two hours. And then there is no set time for departure. So once you're in, you're in. You're, You're in for the rest of the day. Yeah, so check out the Rocky Mountain National Park website for further details and just in case any of the details we just told you change. Okay, how about Yosemite, Karen? Are there any reservation requirements for Yosemite this year? You know, it's interesting because they announced on their social media platforms in December that they were stopping their summer entry reservations, which I think shocked a lot of people. Um, So apparently they are not going to do that this summer. However, they have started something new, and that's a reservation to come in February if you want to um, see Horsetail Fall. You know, that's the phenomenon where the sun hits it just right and it lights up like um, like a firefall. Yeah, and it only happens certain days of the year or potentially certain days of the year if, if there's no clouds obscuring the sun. The sun is just at the right angle and it hits the falls and the, the water's running. So it's just a perfect combination of things. And if you're there to see it in the absolute perfect conditions, I, I guess it's pretty spectacular. And a lot of photographers go there to get this this photo and a lot of, a lot of people want to see it. But it's become so popular that they've decided to put in a a reservation system. And the reservation system is only going to be on the weekends of February 10th through 12th, the 17th through the 19th, and the 24th through the 26th. So if you're coming Monday through Thursday, you don't need a reservation. Also, if you have a hotel reservation or a camping reservation inside the park, you do not need this vehicle reservation either. Yeah, we don't know all of the details about exactly when the best time to view Horsetail Fall is. There's plenty of blog posts out there of mm-hmm. people who have done it. Uh, so if you want more details on that, uh, you can Google it and, and, and find out information. But it is a very popular thing for people to to go see. Yes, it is. And so these tickets are going to start going up for grabs, 50% of them, on January 13th at 8 a.m. Pacific time. So if you're interested in this, uh, look at the information on the Yosemite website and uh, check out the tickets on recreation.gov. And, and just a few others we'll mention briefly. These are some kind of smaller, uh, smaller reservations, if you will. Acadia is one of them. Now, they're going to have a reservation system this year, 2023, 
for the Cadillac Summit Road. And the tentative dates for that are May 24th through October 22nd. Check their website to see any more details. But yeah, you, in order to go up that road, you're going to need a reservation. It was getting so crowded. And if you have ever been up there, the parking lot fills up and then people circle and circle trying to find a spot. So this is the park's way of controlling how many cars are allowed up there at any given time. Now, one option, if you want to get to the top of Cadillac Mountain, you can always use your legs and hike up there. It's a gorgeous hike to the top of Cadillac Mountain. Yeah, no reservations needed for that. <laughs> <laughs> right. And then Haleakala, if you want to see the sunrise at Haleakala, which is a very popular thing to do, you'll need to make a reservation ahead of time. They can be made online up to 60 days in advance of your visit on, guess what, recreation.gov again. Yeah, that would be uh, a bummer if you got up really, really early to go see the sunrise, drove all the way up to the top and didn't realize you needed a, a reservation to get in. That, that would be a letdown. So those are the ones that we wanted to mention specifically. But of course, as you are planning your parks trips for 2023, keep in mind that there are so many activities inside the parks that are going to require advanced tickets or permits. For instance, Angel's Landing in Zion. And fiery furnace and arches. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also, like like you said, there's some ranger-led tours in the cave parks. Mm -hmm. uh, there's ranger-led tours in Mesa Verde. Matter of fact, most of Mesa Verde sites have to be seen via a ranger-led tour. Right. And in Shenandoah, now they have started um, from March 1st through November 13th. If you want to visit Old Rag Mountain and hike there, you're going to need to obtain an Old Rag day-use ticket in advance. And for instance, things like the Denali National Park, the shuttle bus tour, you know, all kinds of things like that. So just keep those in mind as you're planning. Check out the park's website of things to do and tickets and passes you're going to need to buy. And, you know, I'd probably suggest doing what Matt does and make a spreadsheet. Yeah, make spreadsheets for <laughs> for your dates and what you need. And uh, yeah, and, and again, our number one piece of advice is check the website, but not just once, like six months ahead of time. Things change. Big trees fall. Rocks slide. Roads get flooded. I, If I were traveling a distance to a national park, I would definitely be checking that park website every few days until the trip. Right. And have a plan B. <laughs> yeah. And C. And C and D. <laughs> All right, Matt, are you ready to talk about Alaska national park planning? Oh, is that what this episode's about? I thought, <laughs> I you thought, thought we were it was done. just about reservation system. I was ready for that wow, 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 the, the music. You thought this we have was to do over. An, another episode? We haven't even really started yet, Matt. <laughs> okay. All right. Do you need some more coffee? No, no, I'm ready. Just let, let's do her. All right. So as most of you know, there are eight national parks in Alaska. So there's Denali, Kenai Fjords, Wrangell St. Elias, Glacier Bay, Katmai, Lake Clark, Kobuk Valley, and Gates of the Arctic. And of course, for all the National Park Service uh, purists out there, yes, there are other NPS units in Alaska, quite a few of them that aren't national park, national parks. So there's a ton of great public lands in the state of Alaska. Yes. Now, we have done separate podcast episodes on Denali, Glacier Bay, Katmai, Lake Clark, specifically our visit to Dick Prennicke's cabin, and our um, our visit up to Kobuk Valley and Gates of the Arctic. But we get a lot of questions from our listeners about how to plan these trips and in what order and how many days to budget for the trip. There are a lot of logistics to plan for. Plane flights, boat tours, rental cars, hotel reservations, lotteries, all those things. Uh, now, we're going to talk about how we did it. We're not necessarily recommending you do it exactly this way. It worked for us, but uh, there, there are a lot of different ways to do it. But we'll kind of talk through the basics of how we plan these trips. And you could certainly add time on to any one of these uh, legs that we described. We pretty much did these parks 
about as fast as you can. We did. And that's one of the things we regret. There are so many, as you said, Matt, so many great public lands, and we didn't see any of them. We were focused on the national parks. You know, we went to and from, as we'll talk about. So if you have the time and the budget to add on some other public lands, we, you know, we would highly encourage that. Now, there's only three in the state that you can drive to, Denali, Kenai Fjords, which is in Seward, Alaska, and Wrangell, St. Elias. The others, you got to take a boat or a plane of some kind to, to get to them. Right. To Katmai, Lake Clark, Kobuk Valley, and Gates of the Arctic. And for these four, the flights are often postponed due to bad weather. Uh, it seems like it's always stormy up in Alaska. So you want to have at least one extra day built in when you visit these parks. Two extra days is even better. So if you're visiting all eight parks in one trip... Maybe you want to schedule these parks that you have to take a small plane to at the end of your trip. So if you get delayed, it won't affect your other park visits and your other reservations. Right. And you don't want to fly in bad weather. If the pilot's not comfortable, then uh, take his or her advice and wait until it's uh, safer to fly because, uh, you know, it, it can be, as we know, it can be a little dangerous flying in small planes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We. <laughs> I don't know. If we want to get into that. No. No. Stuff, we, so. We've we've had some um, scares. Yeah. I'll call them scares mm-hmm. on small planes in Alaska. That's right. That is in uh, one of our other episodes. So so you if you want to visit all eight parks and not everybody does, maybe you want to think about breaking it into two trips or even three trips. We did them all over three separate trips, but for us because we live in Seattle. It's fairly easy and inexpensive to fly from Seattle up to Anchorage or Juneau. If you're coming all the way from the East Coast, you know, maybe you do want to do it all in one trip. Yeah, that's right. And you're you're taking the time and expense to get all the way across the country, you know, to the Seattle area as you're jumping off point. You might want to do more parks on that trip or all of them so you don't have to uh, repeat that expense of getting across the country. So when to go? Most people go in July and August. Those are the, I think, most heavily visited months because, you know, winter comes early to Alaska. I think September can be an iffy time to travel. Well, September in some of these places can be winter. July and August are the primary months. July can be buggy. We have found mid to late August is really good in terms of uh, fewer bugs. But you are getting close to when it could start snowing or start getting cold we we tried to optimize it. So on our three visits, we did our first and our third trips in fairly late August, and the bugs were really not an issue for us. And we did our second trip, which included Katmai, in early July, because the Katmai National Park website says that the bear viewing is best early July when the salmon are running. Yeah, there are a couple of salmon runs each year. One's late June to early July and another secondary one in September. And so that's why late June, early July is a really good time to visit Katmai in order to see the bears. All right. So first we thought we'd talk about an Alaska trip itinerary that does not involve any small planes. We're going to talk about four parks. This is actually our first itinerary that we did. And we'll kind of explain how we did it, not because we think it's the best, but because it just might give you some ideas of the amount of time it's going to take to get from one park to another. Yeah. And I think this itinerary worked out pretty well for us. Mm -hmm. It did. Yeah. 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 We started off by flying from Seattle to Juneau and then from Juneau to the small town of Gustavus to visit Glacier Bay. So Glacier Bay National Park was our first stop. And if you do it that way, you're going to get to Glacier Bay mid-afternoon. Right. Now, we, we should mention that on your way to Glacier Bay National Park, I mean, if you have the time, Juneau's a cool town, right? The downtown, we think it's cool. It's an interesting old town, historic. They have a great Alaska State History Museum there. Um, so... You could add on a day just to see the town of Juneau. You could. And you could also go see the Mendenhall Glacier. You don't need a rental car. You could just take a taxi. Um, So if you have to have a layover in Juneau, that would be great. You could add on some things to do there. We did a podcast episode all about Glacier Bay. It's number 100. 
all the particulars of visiting Glacier Bay, so we won't go into that today. Now, the main event when you visit Glacier Bay is the National Park Service all-day boat tour. And so unless you're booking other activities in that area, like maybe a fishing trip or a kayak trip, one day and two nights is probably enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, one thing, too, when you are leaving Gustavus to fly back to Juneau, there's only one flight a day, and it's in the very late afternoon, like around 5 o'clock. So you would have most of the day to explore around the lodge. You could go on a hike. Um, We did the Bartlett River Trail. And you don't need a rental car when you're in this park. Whatever lodge you're staying in, whether it's the park lodge or another one, they will transport you to and from the airport. And we should mention that the flights to and from Gustavus are only from what? I know they end in mid-August. So each year, there's only a few months which they run those flights. Exactly. Yes, you're not going to want to visit Glacier Bay in September because, (laughs) first of all, you're going to have a tough time getting there. And also the uh, National Park Service boat tours would be ending. So this is definitely one you're going to want to do in either July or you know, the first three weeks of August before those flights stop. Yeah, so check Alaska Airline Mm -hmm. uh, flight schedule for the town of Gustavus. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet... You can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. So then when we were finished visiting Glacier Bay, we took the very short flight back to Juneau. We got on another plane, flew to Anchorage. We rented a car and we spent the night in Anchorage. So now if you're keeping track, this was the end of day three. (laughs) Right. And so our next park was Wrangell St. Elias. And so we drove from Anchorage to Copper Center. It's also by the town of Glen Allen there. And in Copper Center... We stayed at, I think, uh, the Princess Hotel Mm -hmm. there, and it had a great view of the the mountains in the park. Uh, We weren't in the park at that point. We were looking over the Copper River and then into the mountains. However, if you are going to do this itinerary, you could add a hike onto that day in Anchorage before you leave. Right, because it's it's about a four-hour drive from Anchorage to Copper Center. So you've got at least a half a day. And we have heard that the Chugach State Park, which surrounds Anchorage, is absolutely beautiful. We missed that. <laughs> but we would suggest when you get up in the morning before you head to Copper Center, gosh, go on a hike. There are a lot of trails just right on the way to Copper Center. That's right. So we spent the night there in Copper Center. The next day, we drove from there to the town of McCarthy. And driving there involves driving the 60-mile gravel McCarthy Road. (laughs) You think, well, how long can it take to drive 60 miles of a gravel road? We were rarely going faster than 20 miles an hour. (laughs) So that's how you could do the math. Yeah, we started out going very slowly. I think, honestly, it was like 10 miles an hour because the road was so, what do you call it, washboarded. Right. And I thought, oh, my gosh, 10 miles an hour and it's 60 miles. It's going to take us six hours to get there. And, of course, six hours to get back. But it seemed like after, I don't know, 20 minutes or so, you started picking up speed. And we ended up, I think, averaging about 30 miles an hour. It took two to three hours to get there. It did. And if you're in a big enough, rough enough uh, vehicle, you can kind of uh, adjust your speed. Sometimes actually going faster smooths the ride out because you kind of fly across the washboarded areas. But anyway, it's it's going to take a while to drive that road. It is. And a couple of notes. 
The park website says the road is usually passable to all vehicles in the summer, but they do not recommend RVs or any oversized vehicles try to drive this road. And the other thing that the park website mentioned was that a lot of rental car agencies will not let you drive on gravel roads in their cars. Now, when we did this, what, 12 years ago, our rental car agency did not stipulate any such thing, but you might want to double check that. Yeah, not that we read. (laughs) Not that we know of. (laughs) Um, But when you book your rental car, make sure that, you know, if this is what you want to do, make sure that they're going to let you drive a gravel road. Yeah, and of course, another thing you can do, and we didn't do this, so we we don't have a specific recommendation, but some people do fly into the town of McCarthy. They charter a small plane and and fly in. So you could do that too. Right, and I would imagine a scenic flight over Wrangell St. Elias would be incredible because this park is massive. There are huge mountains and glaciers and I bet that is spectacular. Yeah, yeah, that would be. Yeah. So what you do, though, when you get to the end of the road, there's a parking lot, and then the road does not go all the way into the town of McCarthy. You have to cross a footbridge to get to the town. And then if you want to visit the historic mining town of Kennecott, it's about five miles from McCarthy, and there is a shuttle that will uh, schlep you back and forth. Yeah, you could take that shuttle, or you could just walk. Some people might like that walk. Um, I don't remember it being particularly scenic. If it were me, I would take the shuttle, which is what we did, Mm -hmm. and then hike from there if you want to do some hiking. Exactly. So from this mining town of Kennecott, which, by the way, the Park Service has restored some of the buildings and there's a visitor center there, we hiked to Root Glacier. And that was, what, about maybe four miles round trip? Yeah, I wish we had done a little bit more research on this before because the glacier itself looked interesting that maybe we would want to hike on. Now, you would need crampons and probably trekking poles, and we would recommend a guide, you know, because hiking on a glacier, you know, there are perils to hiking on a glacier. Mm -hmm. There's crevasses, and they can be slippery, and and you want to go with somebody who knows where they're going and, and how to do it right. The other thing we wish we would have done is, um, yeah, this was our very first trip to Alaska, and we didn't know a lot about bears and bear spray. But what we should have done is when we got to Anchorage, we should have bought some bear spray. You know, you can't fly with it, but we didn't have any the entire trip. And I have to say, when we were hiking to the glacier, we were a little I was nervous about running into a grizzly. Of course, we also realized we had, what, smoked salmon? We we had smoked salmon with us. So we made a couple of rookie mistakes, three rookie mistakes at once. Uh, But, hey, we were rookies. So that that happens. But, yeah, I I would have bear spray. Absolutely. And leave, leave the smoked salmon in the car. Right. So we spent the day there, and it was very fun. At the end, when we took the shuttle back to McCarthy, there was a saloon. We had a beer in there before we drove back to Copper Center, where we had another night in our hotel. If we had to do it again, we would have spent the night in McCarthy there. You know, there is like a bed and breakfast, and I think now there are cabins that someone has built. So there are options for spending the night there. And then what we did from Wrangell St. Elias is we then the next day drove to Denali. So if you spent the night in McCarthy, you could get up in the morning and you could drive to Denali. Now, we went straight north up through Fairbanks and then came back down south to Denali. We enjoyed that entire drive and we weren't in a hurry. So I thought it was great taking this kind of roundabout way up through Fairbanks. Right. We wanted to see the scenery and this, it took us about seven hours to drive from Copper Center around to Denali. But I remember we passed some areas where just from the road, you could see these beautiful glaciers. And so we would pull off and take photos It was very scenic, and we knew that when we left Denali, we would be driving south back through Anchorage to Kenai Fjord, so we wanted to have a chance to see a different route, and that's why it was a little bit longer, but for us, it was worth it. Right, so if you are keeping track or trying to keep track, now we're right outside the entrance to Denali, and it's day six. And there are hotels situated along the George Parks Highway, uh, right outside the entrance to the park. We stayed at McKinley Chalet Resort there, and it was fine. It was a great location. 
So as we said in our podcast episode number 32 about Denali, the main thing to do is is the all-day bus tour that takes you back on the park road because cars are only allowed to drive about 15 miles of that park road. So if you want to get back further into the park, you need to do one of their shuttles. Yeah, and that you know, bus tour doesn't sound super exciting when you're planning a trip to Alaska, but this particular bus tour First, you're going to see some beautiful scenery along the way, and most likely a lot of wildlife. And second, you can get off and hike. You're not stuck on that bus. This can actually just be a way to get in the park and you get off and you can hike cross country. And then you can pick up a different shuttle on the way back. That's one of the beauties of of the shuttle system is it allows you to get off, hike, and then catch a different one on the way back. Now, unfortunately... Due to a landslide at mile 45 on the park road, the park road is closed at that point. They are rebuilding a section of that road. It's going to be closed for the summer of 2023 and the summer of 2024 at mile marker 45. So the park road in its entirety is 90 miles. So for the next two summers, you will only be able to go halfway, which is a shame Um, but it's necessary for them to fix this and reroute this road. Yeah, there's really nothing they can do about it. I mean, they're they're fixing it as fast as they can. You can imagine that the construction season in that part of the world is just pretty short. I mean, you can only work on the road so many months. All right, so that's what we did. We uh, went into Denali, did the bus tour. That took all day. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we continued driving south to Seward, Alaska, and it took us about three hours, and that's the entry point for Kenai Fjords National Park. Right. Now, we got up early. We left Denali early, and we visited the Exit Glacier area when we got there. We were hoping to do a hike. We wanted to hike the Harding Ice Field, which is a little over eight miles round trip, but... It was pouring rain. <laughs> it was rainy, and you need to be prepared for that. You got to be prepared for the fact that it's three thousand feet of elevation gain. I mean, that's it's not just a, a simple nature walk through the woods. That can be a serious hike. So that was our plan for that day, which didn't happen. We drove up there. We kind of looked around. It was so foggy and rainy. And then I think we went back into Seward, uh, found a cute little bar on the waterfront and um, <laughs> and had dinner <laughs> and had a happy hour and dinner. But we would highly recommend visiting the Exit Glacier area on that driving day because you're going to have a big chunk of your day left um, after your three-hour drive. And then the next day, uh, we did the all-day boat tour into Kenai Fjords, and that's what most people do. Yeah, and if if you do that, and that's pretty much an all-day thing, the boat tour would be day nine. Now, we won't be doing a podcast episode on Kenai Fjords because, unfortunately, our boat tour day, it was also stormy, rainy, foggy, and all day sitting on that boat. I think the fog cleared one time. We got one picture. We could not see a thing. <laughs> yeah, there, there are things you can do in the park. It, it is a spectacular park. However, weather wasn't great for us. We were on a pretty tight uh, time frame. We saw what we could in the two days we were there, but uh, yeah, we probably need to go back and and experience that park again. I would love to go back because the photos I've seen look incredible. And the thing is, too, just know, you know, when you buy your tickets for these boat tours and things, it's this all-day boat tour to Kenai Fjords. It was not refundable. It was not transferable to another date. This was what it was. And they go out in the fog and the rain. So that's just part of the Alaska experience, right? You, you take what, what comes to you each day. So we did the all-day boat tour, spent the night in Seward again. Uh, we were at a Holiday Inn Express. And then the next day, we did the three-hour drive back to Anchorage, turned in our car, and flew home. Then that was the end of 10 days. So that was a 10-day trip for us. Right. So any of the things we just described, you could add days. Mm -hmm. You could add days to any of these parks. Sure. Just no. I mean, if you wanted to do 14 days, two week uh, vacation, then you got four days to play with and you could add them to wherever. Right. But then you're already on a two week vacation for four of the parks. So you can imagine if you're going to do all eight, you're going to need to plan a big chunk of time. Right. 
Okay, so let's talk about that. So option B here, if you wanted to add on some parks to what we just talked about, when you drop your rental car off in Anchorage, then that's a jumping off point to actually any of these um, small parks that require a flight. So for instance, you could, from Anchorage, you could get on a flight from Anchorage to Fairbanks, which is not a very long flight. And from there, you can get on a smaller plane. <laughs> a Piper Navajo, maybe. <laughs> a Piper Navajo that seats uh, nine people to Bettles, Alaska. And Bettles is just north of the Arctic Circle. And that's what we did. We stayed at uh, Bettles Lodge. Now, we did this on a separate trip, but we stayed at Bettles Lodge. And from there, we did flight seeing tours into Kobuk Valley National Park and Gates of the Arctic National Park. We talked about this in detail on episode number 37, Above the Arctic Circle. So if you want details about that, check out that episode. But this trip, going to Fairbanks and then to Bettles, this would add on probably about three more days. And that's assuming you're factoring an in an extra day or two for possible bad weather. And that's also factoring in that really all you're doing is taking a small plane into the park, getting out for, you know, 15 minutes to an hour or two, doing something in the park and then, you know, flying to the next park and then flying back to Bettles, which granted that's as fast as you can see these parks. And some people believe, which, you know, I I certainly understand you're going to spend all the time and energy to get all the way up there. Why aren't you spending more days? I understand that. We happened to do this trip after I had gone back to work and I we were on, on vacation and I only had so many days away from work that we could do it. So we had to do this one pretty quick also. Right. And these parks, if you haven't listened to our episode yet, these are wilderness parks. So there are no roads. There are no services of any kind. So if you want to spend extra time in these parks, you know, a plane can drop you off, but you would be camping and you would be on your own. Of course, unless you hire a guide, that's a possibility too. But there are no hotels to stay in. There are no lodges. Yeah. So it kind of presents some challenges in how to visit these parks. Yeah. And if you have a ton of time, some people take rafting trips down the Kobuk River through the park and, you know, take a week to do that. Uh, some people go to see the uh, caribou migration in Kobuk Valley National Park. So, There are other things to do. They would take a lot more time. All right. So we're going to mention um, the other two that require small planes, and that's Katmai and Lake Clark. Now, whether you're adding these on to all of the parks or you're just going to see these on their own, most people visit these parks on the same trip because they are located fairly close to each other. Right. So let's talk about Katmai first. Okay. You could, there's a couple of different ways to do Katmai. You could do it as a day trip and just fly in for the day, uh, walk around the Brooks Camp area, see the bears, and then fly back out. And, and you, could do, you could do that from Anchorage. You could do that from, from Port Allsworth uh, by Lake Clark National Park. There are ways to do that. Um, the other way is to fly in and stay at Brooks Camp. That's right. And we also have an episode on this one. It's number eight, all about our stay at Brooks Camp. Now, when we went in, gosh, what was that, 2011, there was no lottery system yet to stay at Brooks Camp, which, by the way, is a series of cabins. Now, because it's gotten so popular, there is a lottery. And the way it works is... The lottery window is open for the month of December, and it's for the following, not the following summer, but the summer after that. So for instance, the lottery for the summer of 2024 has already closed. If you are interested and you enter next December, the lottery, that will be for summer of 2025. Um, So it is a ways out. Another option, if you're a camper, it might be easier to get a reservation at the campground there in Brooks Camp. So you're probably wondering the same thing I was wondering when I heard there was a campground at Katmai. Who's going to sleep in a tent when there are brown bears wandering back and forth through the forest? Well, not me. That would be a hard pass for me. 
Except... Well, except there's an electric fence around the perimeter of the campground. Right. Now, the only thing, though, you still have to walk kind of a long way to and from the campground to get to Brooks Falls. And and there's no electric fence along that journey. (laughs) No, and I I would be a little bit worried if I got up in the middle of the night maybe to go to the bathroom, hitting that electric fence. (laughs) 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 That... That would make for an electrifying <laughs> visit, wouldn't it? <laughs> it might make your hair stand on <laughs> end. <laughs> I'm not even going to reply because we know that young children listen to our podcast. So we're, I'm just going to leave that one alone. So what do you think, though, when the bears are smelling like bacon cooking? You think they're just like lining up outside the electric fence? <laughs> watching everybody <laughs> i don't know that the electric fence works it must it right? must work of like, course yeah. it works of course it works <laughs> yes the yeah. electric fence yes. works <laughs> get online and sign up for that uh, that campground i'm sure it's amazing so you're in oh I, yes i'm in i would do that oh, okay so sure. we're gonna go we're camping there sure maybe next summer uh i would do it okay all right get online everyone heard you <laughs> Um, of course, you know, if you're going to camp, that means you have to bring all of your camping supplies with you, your tent, your sleeping bags, and so on. But people do it. So, I mean, it, it's definitely possible. Yeah. And again, like we said, if if you're there during that first salmon run in late June or early July, it's going to be buggy. So mm-hmm. bring plenty of whatever you're comfortable putting on your body to keep the bugs away. We just used 100% DEET, and that kind of worked. It melted my binoculars, but um, kind of kept the mosquitoes away. And head nets. Head nets and are head your nets. best friend. Yes. <laughs> the very fashionable head nets. Now, if you are interested in trying to get a campground reservation for summer of 2023, they go up for grabs on January 5th, which is the day this podcast episode comes out. Um, And they're on recreation.gov. So jump on there and see if there are any left that you can claim for this summer. Yeah, and like we said earlier, if you don't want to try to wait for the lottery and uh, get a cabin or or try to get a campsite, there are outfitters that that can fly you in for the day. And most of these same outfitters will also fly you into Lake Clark National Park on another day. So it's nice. You could book one outfitter and you could see both parks. Also, I have seen from other people's Instagram accounts that – They also fly visitors into more remote areas of Katmai, where there's also great bear viewing, and places in Lake Clark National Park that we didn't see because we were focused on visiting Dick Prenicke's cabin. Right. So that's what we did. We went to Brooks Camp, and we went to Farm Lodge, and we went to Dick Prenicke's cabin. Those were the highlights for us, but those aren't the only places you can go in these parks. Now, we talk about our trip to Dick Prenicke's cabin in episode 21, One Man's Wilderness. And on this particular trip, we did stay at the Farm Lodge in Port Allsworth. They flew us not only to and from Anchorage, but then to and from Dick Prenicke's cabin on Twin Lakes. And there were people who stayed in the cabin next to us, and they were taking a day trip to Katmai when we went to Twin Lakes. So I know they fly people a lot of different places. Yeah, and the distance between uh, Port Allsworth and Katmai is not that great. I mean, that's a fairly short flight for a small plane. Right. So Matt, if you were just going to Katmai and Lake Clark National Park, how many days would you budget for well, you know, there's a lot of to and from. I mean, I think it it would take six at least because, I mean, I'm adding getting to Anchorage. So mm-hmm. that depends. If you're coming from New York, that's different than coming from Seattle, right? right. Uh, so like I said, there's some to and from. Probably do it as few as five, but um, I wouldn't. Right. I agree. And I kind of wish we would have added on, like in Lake Clark, uh, we spent the day at Dick Prenicke's cabin, and that was amazing. I wish we would have maybe had one more day and seen another part of Lake Clark National Park. Again, this is a wilderness park that there are no roads into. So so you have to, you know, go in either on a float plane or a plane that, uh, a plane with wheels. Yeah. I do wish we would have taken another day or two to have 
somebody fly us to other remote areas uh-huh. other, other than what we saw. However, what we saw was incredible and like trip of a lifetime. So no complaints. And also, you know, you have to factor in the expense, you know, getting on these small planes in Alaska is expensive. So it kind of depends on what your budget will allow as well. So I think you want to check off the things at the very top of your list. And then if your budget allows, you know, add add in some of these other amazing places. Yeah, most everything in Alaska is expensive and, and for good reason, but it's not an inexpensive place to visit. So we hope this helps with your Alaska park planning. You know, um, one thing obviously you need to decide is how many of the eight national parks you want to visit and then factor in, if you're not retired, how much vacation time you have and can you do all of these eight parks in one swoop or do you need to break it up into multiple summers? Yeah, I like the fact that we broke it up into three different trips, and you could even break it up into more and then take more time at some of these parks. It just depends on what your time horizon is. So, you know, some people, some people are traveling in their 70s and seeing these places, and they know that they're not going to be doing this for 30 more years. And then other people are, you know, you know, in their 20s, and they, they do know that they're going to be traveling for you know many decades and they might spread it out so yeah it's just up to everyone's personal preference right and one thing i've heard that's popular to do now with the cost of rental cars and hotels and you you know you'd have to do the math but a lot of people are renting either rvs or camper vans when they get there and i think that would be a fun thing to do we could go back to kenai fjords and try the boat tour again and go back to denali i don't know i think that might be fun because i'd like to hit some of the state parks parks and some of the other public lands. Yeah, that'd be another great way to do it. And and some of those roads that we drove, particularly up to Fairbanks, there are some areas that it would be great to just spend a day or two off the side of the highway in in those beautiful mountainous areas. Right. A lot to do in Alaska and many adventures to be had. That's right. All right. Thanks for joining us today. And a shout out to all of our friends who are listening in New Zealand where, of course, there are some incredible national parks as well. Coming out in January, we're going to have a very interesting episode about a cool NPS site that we visited last October, Chaco Culture National Historic Site in New Mexico. And Karen, you discovered some really unexpected things about this place in your research, didn't you? Yes, I did. And I don't want to oversell it, but this episode's History Channel is going to be possibly the most fascinating one we've ever done. It's going to be off the charts. Ever? Ever. Wow. So you won't want to miss this one. Yeah, you don't ever want to miss a History Channel, do you? (laughs) (laughs) You speaking from personal experience, man? Um, Yes. Yes, I am. I know. It's your favorite. (laughs) 